Kreuzer, welcome to Recovery Now Radio, which is brought to you in conjunction with Adveriad Recovery and Living Room Cardiff. Adveriad Recovery is a registered charity offering specialist support to those with co-occurring substance misuse and mental health conditions. Living Room Cardiff provides ongoing support and aftercare as a community-based recovery centre that has an all-addictions approach, including gambling, alcohol, drugs, both prescribed and illicit, sex, eating disorders, gaming, etc., or any other harmful behaviour. We welcome anyone who needs confidential support in taking those first important steps towards change and recovery. Family members and friends are also catered for. For further details, please see the Adveriad Recovery website, www.adveriad.org.uk and www.livingroom-cardiff.com. Diochen Thank you so much. You can get it if you really want You can get it if you really want You can get it if you really want But you must try Try and try Try and try You'll succeed at last Welcome to Recovery Now Radio Let's recover together Persecution You must be You've got to get your share Got your mind set on a dream You can get it No hard it may seem now Recovery Now Radio Coming to you from the living room And at Berryard My name is Joe, and our guest today is Dave. Dave has come in to talk to us about his addiction and subsequent recovery. But before we chat to Dave, let's listen to his first song choice, which is The Pretender by The Foo Fighters. Yeah. 
And that was Pretender by the Foo Fighters. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio. My name is Joe, and our guest today is Dave. Welcome, Dave. Welcome, Joe. Thanks. Uh, thanks. <laughs> well, I'm saying welcome. Um, yeah, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm a little bit nervous, actually, but I'm excited to be here. Um, I can remember when the radio station was in its infancy and they were planning and looking for funding. So it's fantastic that it's finally happened. Uh, we just listened to Pretender by the Foo Fighters. And I think you said in our chat beforehand that that was like a battle for you. Could you explain a little more about that? Yeah, I, th- I could have I could have probably chosen any one of the Foo Fighters songs, to be honest. There's something about their music that brings up something in me. It's more of a feeling in my stomach. And I guess there's quite a lot of an internal fight that goes on in my head. And that this song seems to really capture that for me. It's quite hard to put it into words. It's more of a feeling. I think lots of my song choices are feelings rather than, you know, kind of, exact word for word but there are words that stand out for me and I think the word pretender in itself stands out massively from that that the going through addiction and not being able to be myself and always trying to be somebody else or trying to have a mask that fitted in with what other people wanted from me and behind that mask there would be a screaming of of the reality that I knew I wasn't being myself I didn't sometimes even know what that self was sure so can you tell us about your first experiences with alcohol then and the effect that it had on you? Yeah, the first the first time I had a drink, suddenly I made sense to myself. I think for a long time I hadn't appreciated that I had so much noise going on in my head. There were so much voices, I guess, lots of stresses, lots of confusion, lots of things I just couldn't make sense of. And I didn't realise that was the case until I had a my first drink really and suddenly that all disappeared and for the first time I had this kind of sensation of feeling relaxed had a had had peace and I stopped thinking and I had this excitement that came out of me and I was hooked the very first time I had a drink. So did it bring you out of yourself would you say? Yeah it definitely it definitely put the voices to bed and and I was able able to connect I guess to my environment differently in a way that I I could not be so self-conscious and not so worried all the time. Yeah, I understand that. So we're going to listen to the next piece of music that you've chosen, Dave, and it's Spies by Coldplay. Could you tell me why you chose that one? This album is one of my favourites. I first came across it when I was living in Edinburgh and it just really captured my mood and my feelings. Um, And this song in particular really moves me. And I think it's written about the Cold War and spies, it might be, but... I think that it it just I just connected with it. I, I'm not really sure why completely, but I really connected to it. Brilliant. Show me the right way to go And the 
And that was Spies by Coldplay. What a great song. You're still listening to Recovery Now Radio. I'm Joe, and Dave is still with us today. Can you tell me how growing up was for you? I guess growing up was really confusing. There was quite a lot of disturbances at home. And I guess I had to grow up quite quickly. And I, I, could, I never quite worked out what was happening, but I knew that I felt quite unsettled and quite anxious. I don't think I put that word anxious to it until I was an adult. But as a child, I found school very difficult to concentrate in. I didn't really retain much. And I guess it was all the consequences of just feeling very unsafe at home. Saying that, I also felt extremely safe, but I think mentally I was quite overwhelmed what, by what was happening. And I, I probably, the result of that was to withdraw quite a great deal from my feelings. Yeah. So do you equate some of that to your addiction later on? I think it was the beginning of, of my difficulty with understanding how I felt. So for a very long time I had in, in adulthood, I had no real clue about what it was I was feeling. And I think that that stemmed from childhood and having to hide feelings or just not being shown how to, to process them, how to use them effectively. So feelings have really been a, a major issue for you then? Yeah, they really have. And again, I had no idea that it was a feelings that I was struggling with until I was much older. But, you know, I have had relationships and friends who got frustrated because I wasn't able to express what was happening or what I was feeling in the moment. And sometimes it would take weeks or months before I could identify what was happening later on, you know, after the events had happened, where I just closed down and, and became quite unable to process what was yeah. happening to me. That sounds very powerful, Dave. Um, was there a time in your life when alcohol seemed manageable? It's it's almost difficult to express it as manageable now because it, it became so unmanageable. It's the only thing I can really remember. But if I trace it back, there was a period where I believed I could manage my drinking. And I thought, in fact, I was a better person for drinking. And that was I was funnier. I was more complete and I was more relaxed and people liked me better. And I had all of these messages that alcohol gave me which made gave me the confidence to interact in a world that I couldn't do without alcohol so it really gave you a boost of confidence it sounds like it also convinced me that I could feel when I'd had a drink so the emotions that I couldn't process in sober living would come out in me when I'd had a drink but they weren't coming out very well so they would result in being quite aggressive or I'd flip quite quickly or I'd end up just being really upset but somehow I was still connecting to feelings in a dysfunctional way, but I was still feeling something, which I found very difficult to do when I wasn't drinking. That's fascinating. Well, before we talk any further, I'll move on to your next song, which is Hey Now by London Grammar. Do you know why you chose this one? Again, it, it allowed me to feel something. I think this is a great thing about music is that often just out of will, I couldn't feel something. But when I listened to music, something happened in me. And I would feel it in my stomach. And this whole album and this song particularly allows me to feel something. Hey now, letters burning by my bed for you. Hey now, I can feel my instincts here for you. Hey now. 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 
What a lovely song that was, Hey Now by London Grammar. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio. I'm Joe, and our guest today is Dave. Okay, Dave, before the song, we were talking about a time in your life when alcohol may have seemed more manageable to you. Can you tell me what changed? Small things at first, I think. I remember starting to try to arrange a night out, and some of my friends at the time were starting to make excuses because they didn't want to come out with me. And I, I didn't really connect the dots for a while. And the way that my shift patterns worked at that time, I'd work five nights on, three nights off. And my friends started to work out when my nights were off and were suddenly unavailable. And I thought, that's a bit strange. And I think somewhere inside me, I knew that every time I was out with them and I would drink, something would go wrong by the end of the night. And it didn't happen when I wasn't there. And I wouldn't really know how to stop. And that was that was the indication that something wasn't right. That once I started drinking, there was no there was no stop button. It would just carry on until I passed out. I see. So when you were on nights out, things would happen. And when you weren't there, these said things wouldn't wouldn't happen at all, would they? It would just be a peaceful night. That's right. And my friends started to realize and uh, somebody called me a paradox once. And then this developed into the word dangerous, where they started calling me Dangerous Dave. Because on the one hand, I was this person that had a job, I functioned really well, I was organized, I would cook, I would exercise. And then there'd be this polar opposite, opposite version of myself, that when I drank, all this other stuff would come out. And it was almost unrecognizable to the person that I portrayed in normal sober life can you describe some of the consequences of your drinking then i would find myself i lived probably about 45 minutes outside london at the time and i might meet up with somebody in clapham and then i'd wake up in west london somewhere without any memory of getting there in somebody's house i'd never met and it'd be a complete blackout but there was all kinds of other problems that kind of spiraled then from 
almost what I perceived as being quite normal reactions when somebody had had a heavy night. They would wake up without much of a memory, can't really remember what happened. And it would almost be a good tale to tell somebody. But, you know, that those escalated. And in the end, it was a drink drive disqualification, you know, quite a bad accident that involved two other cars that were written off, including my eye, including my own. And I was then in hospital. And that was the consequences of, of thinking I was getting away with it. And nobody was realizing that my drinking was was out of control. Yeah, that sounds uh, awful and quite shocking, actually. Did you have any injuries? Not, not really. The, the injury was really on the realization that I was out of control. Yeah. And I'd been drinking that entire day and I'd been in work and I'd gone to a party and continued to drink. And then I got into the car and drove. And that was a real wake up call because I think people were aware that my drinking wasn't great, but what they weren't aware was to what extent my drinking had taken. And I was regularly making excuses to not go to work and making up elaborate lies to kind of justify my time off. I think one of the lies was that I told my employer that my sister had broken a leg and I had to go to Cardiff there was no broken leg and I didn't go to Cardiff I was just so drunk I couldn't make my way into work so there was all of this kind of behavior that was happening that I was trying to keep secret and under wraps and 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 trying to control the fact that I couldn't stop drinking once I started yeah how did the impact of your drinking on others affect you I was devastating absolutely devastating um I think that it was the end of every relationship I had actually when I look back on my friends and my intimate relationships with people, drinking was a catalyst for that ending and it was usually quite explosive. And I moved back to Cardiff six years ago after I'd lost my job, I'd lost my relationship, I'd lost my house. I was up to my, up to my neck in debt, so I had to go through a bankruptcy. I'd lost my driving license. I literally had nothing left. And that, the only option I had was to return home and, and stay with my mum. That must have seemed like the end of the road to you. But before we talk about that a little further, let's move on to your next song, which is Lucky Man by The Verve. Why did you choose that one? This song always represented hope for me. And it kind of shocked me out of feeling miserable at times and would help me reflect on that maybe things could turn out better. Let's have a listen.
good song that was lucky man by the verb but onto more serious things now dave um you were describing to me what happened when you had your drink driving charge is that what brought you into recovery or were there other things as well i, I wish i'd gone come into recovery then but no i had i had more more chaos to um to get through so that was the beginning of it though. That was when I started to realize that I couldn't control my drinking and other people were aware that was happening as well. So from there, life became quite complicated because I didn't have a car. So getting to work was problematic. And this just, this took me, this made me quite depressed because having a car represented having freedom. And when I was younger, being able to have a car and, and get out of the house and have my own space was fundamental really to my mental health. And having that taken away from me and rightly so, I didn't have that sense of freedom any longer. And I really did punish myself quite severely for that. But my drinking escalated and I started drinking and going to work. And um, I passed out 
in work and somebody found me with a load of bottles of vodka empty and that was it I was suspended but they they supported me because I'd worked with them for a long time and they supported me and I went through occupational health health and I had some alcohol counseling but I said all the right things and made all the right noises and I managed to get back into work but I hadn't really accepted what was happening to me and through willpower I managed to stay sober for a period of time until I didn't and the same thing happened again I was no longer under occupational health, so they saw that as gross misconduct, but I resigned before I was sacked. And that, that, was, that was a huge realization. My life never changed after that. That, that the, the job I had also really represented a sense of belonging to me and part of my identity. And without that, and without my driving license, I felt completely and utterly lost. And things really got a lot worse after that. They needed to get a lot worse before they could get better. So I managed to get another job, lost that within a year, caught drinking. And that was the end. And then I returned back to Cardiff. And that's when so, I started to yeah. focus on my recovery. So it happened twice then when you when you lost your job due to the effects of your drinking. Yeah. And even with counselling, it still wasn't enough to stop you. No, it wasn't. And the first three years of being back in, in Cardiff, I did it. I tried to get sober my own way. I dabbled with AA. Um, I went to solution-focused hypnotherapy, thinking that maybe I could restructure my brain through hypnotism. You know, I, I, I sought a lot of support through a counselling, um, but it wasn't recovery-based or wasn't alcohol-related. But it was really a relationship that I looked to to be the salvation for my alcoholism. I met somebody and thought, well, this person seems perfect. They've got their own home. They've got a fantastic job. I'll be able to stay sober for her. This is a new fresh start I was looking for. My future is in this girl. And it wasn't. I put huge amounts of pressure on this, you know, to the effect of really hurting and, and confusing her because I never really vocalized or owned up to the fact that I had a drinking issue. Hmm. So the result was that of this was 18 months of sheer hell for her and for me. And that was the breaking point. And that's when I came to the living room was that when that ended, I realized I couldn't get sober for anybody or anything. There was nothing in the universe around me that was going to get me sober and I needed help to do it. So it sounded like you were looking, very much looking outside of yourself instead of looking inside yourself. You're absolutely spot on, Joe. My whole attitude towards life was seeking reassurance externally. I had no sense of self, no inner resource at all. Until you found the living room. Yeah, it was a miraculous story with the living room because my sister had been, was, was a paramedic at the time and somebody at the living room had collapsed and was called out. And one of the members at the living room was speaking to my sister and my sister's partner on the job said to one of the members of the living room, keep speaking to her. Her brother's an alcoholic and he's not looking for help. He won't accept help. So the lady who collapsed spent quite a while speaking to my sister about what the living room was, what they offered and what they did. And my sister, she told me about this and said, this place would be ideal for you, Dave. This is what you need. And I still believe that I could do it my way. That I was Sounds like fate. Yeah. So when I was on my knees and I was, I was drunk somewhere in the valleys on my knees on the curb at two o'clock in the morning. And it was at that moment I, I heard my sister's words about this living room. And I thought, right, as soon as I get home, the next day when I sober up, I'm going to get myself to the living room. And I did the next day and saw Nick, one of the counsellors, and that was the beginning of me changing. 
Brilliant. Let's listen to some more music now. Your next track is Fever to the Form by Nick Mulvey. Can you Nick tell me Mulvey. why you chose that? Mulvey, why did you choose that one? It's, it's quite... I don't understand what the song's about. And what I've come to understand about recovery and living is there's lots of stuff I just don't understand. And it's all right with not knowing. And you can still enjoy the process of not knowing and live well. And this song represents just not knowing, but enjoying the process. Fantastic. So where the musical madness We'll live by one of the two By one of the two so go on, fill your heart up with gladness Not a moment too soon Not a moment too soon It should be rational reasons Choose a child to ignore This I've never been sure So I will follow the feet Singing, give me some more Cause you 
And that was Fever to the Form by Nick Mulvey. I got his name right that time, Dave. <laughs> um, I really got into that song then, now, just then. It's, it's, um, it's blown me away, actually. I'm speechless. I'm going to put that on my playlist next time. Oh, excellent. Still, yeah, it's a good track. You're still listening to Recovery Now Radio with Joe, and my guest today is Dave. And Dave, we've talked about some quite serious things to do with your addiction to alcohol. Could you tell me what the recovery process was like? Confusing. It meant it meant letting go of my way of living and accepting that, that it needed to, to change and that the only way it could change was by trusting other people who had gone through the same process as me. But it was that acceptance and letting go that was the most tricky thing and still is to this day, I find it difficult. It's, you know, I was reflecting actually today that, you know, a year ago I was in quite a state alcohol had got me into quite a difficult position again I've been in recovery for about two when I say in recovery I'd still having you know relapses after relapses but I was still coming back to groups I was still having my one-to-ones I was still engaging with services but I could just not get this falling back onto drinking out of my system and it happened in February last year quite seriously um, I took some time off work and I got some really good advice from the living room I decided to go into rehab so I started the planning and application process this time last year to get into rehab. So it's been a real roller coaster of, of accepting how serious an illness alcoholism is and how detrimental it is and devastating it is to me. And I would have this ignorance about it after a couple of weeks that I could get back on track and control my drinking myself or not, not have to, to, to constantly ask for help. I wanted to do it myself. I was really willful about it. I was really dishonest as well and, and, and lying and not telling the truth is something that's followed me through my entire life and it's been really difficult to let go of all of this, you know, dysfunctional behaviour and, and rehab really was the thing that had to knock that out of me and it was the most amazing experience I've ever had. Tell me a little bit more about rehab, how long were you there? I was there, I was willing to be there for 16 weeks, four months, but I ended up being there for... Um, for three months and it was it was a brilliant story really because it was right at the beginning of lockdown so most places were shut and somebody within the living room had been to this rehab before so it was kind of coaching me in the process and I kind of got stuck with the application and uh, I wasn't getting anything back so I wrote them a letter on on um, recommendation from this member of the, the living room just to explain how serious alcohol had been in my life and how desperately I needed to get some intervention so I wrote this letter and it was really heartfelt and I spent time on it because it was the first time in my life I was actually taking my recovery seriously for myself. This was me doing the work. So I wrote the letter and I sent it off to Brunel, which was the rehab I went to. And it was about six weeks into my stay at Brunel that the manager there, Carol, said to me, she said, oh, you know that, that you, are, you, are, you orchestrated this, this part of your life. And I said, oh, no, it was help of other people. She said, no, that, that letter you wrote, she said it was, it was it was just what you needed to write and you took responsibility for your recovery. And she said, I sent that letter directly to the Welsh government and within three days, the funding had been released for my stay and wow. I, was, I was able to go into rehab almost immediately. Wow, what an amazing story. You must be very proud of yourself, Dave. It was interesting because I didn't know that was the case until I'd been in rehab for a period of time. And, yeah. you know, I think that the most difficult part of this whole process of recovery is owning my own life to really taking responsibility for my actions and my behavior 
and it was it, I could see that I had I had taken responsibility for this beginning stage and it was really set the tone really for the next six months up until now that it's me who needs to to, to do the action, to take responsibility and make things happen. But I could only do that once I'd built a foundation. And that foundation was asking for help and allowing other people to direct me and trust in the process. Sounds like you've jumped through some hoops and worked really, really hard on it. But before we discuss that any further, I'm going to play your next track, which is from Arlo Parks, Hurt. Charlie drank it till his eyes burn. so much. 
Welcome back to Recovery Now Radio, coming to you from the living room and at Veriad. I'm Joe, and our guest today is still Dave. Dave, why did you choose that song? It was Hurt by Arlo Parks. This, this song really spoke to me. I was cycling through Butte Park, and I think I lost track entirely of where I was and what I was doing, because this, this song just kind of captured exactly what I felt at that moment in time. And, you know, sometimes you go, I wonder if I hurt. I, that was the universe speaking to me, you know, some, something like that. And there's a line in it, I'll read it, um, that I think, yeah, where he didn't feel so small and overwhelmed by all his flaws. I know you can't let go of anything at the moment, just know it won't hurt so, it won't hurt so much forever. And I think for me, it spoke to me about the story that I've been telling myself about my life and I've been a victim of it. And it really kept me in a fixed position. And I just kept going around in circles and this idea of of all things will pass and things will get better and this song kind of helped me to remember that I needed to let go of things maybe I wasn't quite there quite ready to let go but it was definitely part of the process I needed to just let go of my old story and start focusing on building a brand new one. Can you tell us what happened when you began to get well then? Yeah well I, I, I guess I'm still getting well it's been I guess this whole period with the living room where I've started to accept that that I'm an alcoholic, it's been a healing process. So there's been different points that I've been able to deal with different things. And the, the place where I've been since leaving rehab is one that I've been trying to build from a blank sheet. That I've been trying to build a solid foundation and, and get everything in the right order. And that's been really tricky because part of my nature seems to run ahead of myself without without doing the due diligence to start doing the hard the hard jobs. So I've been really focusing on, on all the things that I know will keep me well um, by staying connected to people. I do things like journal regularly and I, I've built my meditation up and I've started doing voluntary work. I've started a course. I've started to try and I've got this idea that, you know, what would my life look like if I put a lot of effort into it and acted like I actually cared about it? So I've been trying to trying to have that attitude really about what, what are the possibilities in my life? But the but the, the fundamentally, I can only start achieving those things if I get the groundwork and my recovery solid. Would it be right to say that uh, your life is much better now? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, I'm living now. You're living I now. I was definitely existing for a long time. And I had so many balls in the air of juggling because I constantly was trying to control what other people thought of me. And the concerns I had about what other people's judgments were of me. I had a huge, you know, kind of complex about inferiority and not being able to, that I wasn't as good as other people. And this kind of core belief of just not being good enough. So, you know, over the last, uh, probably the last six or seven months, it's really been about exposing all of that and, and pushing through it. Sounds quite raw. It doesn't feel as raw at the moment. But it's been a raw experience, but I've really had to open up um, and, and really look at myself for, for what I am. And that is that is is terrifying, but it's also extremely freeing once you push through the difficult. I guess, you know, the something that we talk about in the living room regularly, which is being able to sit with uncomfortable feelings. And I all my life, I've tried to escape those uncomfortable feelings by by usually using alcohol. Um, and I know people use many other other ways to escape yeah. their feelings. I mentioned earlier that feelings were a big issue for me, locating them, but they started to come. And when they did, I wanted to get away from them um, at any means necessary. But, but now I've, I've learned that if I just sit with them, 
if I speak to people, if I write them down, if I meditate through them, then I learn something important. Mm -hmm. When we were talking prior to the show about your music choices, one, the next song we're going to play is called Folds by Albatross. Mm -hmm. And you definitely wanted this one on your list. You yeah, said it made you feel did. twisted up. Can you yeah, explain what, that to me? I mean, what a great. What a great name for a song, Albatross. I just think it's fantastic. And this song is a real journey in itself, I think. And I found myself really relating to that. And it, there's, there's a large part of me that feels quite twisted up and confused about how I feel and, the, and parts of my life. And it just all comes together quite well in this song. You got a hundred broken lifeboats above your head. They said that you had So 
And that was Albatross by The Folds, a very deep song there, Dave. We were talking earlier about what happened when you began to get well. What would you say to your younger self now if you met them? Oh, that's a really good question. That I didn't have all the answers when I thought that I did. And that the more defensive and resistant I was, was the indication that was true. And what are those answers, would you say? That I needed to start being honest and to trust in other people. So I think what happened at some point in my childhood was that I stopped trusting other people um, because I was fearful that they would let me down. So to protect myself from that, I just believed that I was the only person that I could really trust. And I don't think I ever revisited that as an adult to whether or not that was a good decision to make. So I think if I met my, my younger self, it would be about it would be about having to reassure that really terrified part of myself that it didn't need to be scared anymore. And that the only way that could happen is if I found people to show me how not to be. And that would mean having to be more honest and, and vulnerable around people. You talked a little bit about being scared then. So with regards to fear, can you pinpoint what it was you were fearful of? I think there, there was a, a point um, where I, I, didn't, I didn't think there was anybody that could really look after me the way I needed them to. And there was a few spells where I thought I was kind of on my own and that there was nobody that could help me so I think something changed in me at that point and I think there was a, a massive fear around rejection and abandonment that kind of underpinned quite a lot of stuff um, my father took his own life when I was 16 and it was that was kind of just the end of it the lead up and the build up to all of that caused quite a lot of disturbance for me um, and it stopped me being able to kind of make sense of things particularly well so there was a constant fear of not knowing what's going to happen and and what would happen to me I guess that's very poignant Dave and um, I would imagine that anybody would be fearful having gone through those circumstances let's move on to a, another bit of music now we're going to listen to the XX and it's called Crystallize
recovery now radio you're listening to joe and our guest today is dave and that was the xx with crystallized a very moody track um dave what we were talking about before that track was actually quite um sad and you were very open and honest with us when you told us about your father and i thank you for that what lessons do you think recovery has taught you i think it was something i read in russell brand's book that the opposite of addiction is connection and I think that's one of the things that has stood out is that my tendency to withdraw at times is the thing that gets me into a great deal of trouble and uh, puts me really at risk. Because if I withdraw, I end up listening just to the thoughts that come in my own head and they can be quite destructive. Certainly in early recovery for me, it's hard to know the difference between, you know, when my thoughts I perceive as being helpful and when they're actually getting me into trouble so being able to connect regularly with a community that understands the the struggle of addiction helps me to keep me on track you mentioned withdrawal so was there a bit of isolation in there with that huge amounts of isolation and I think I thought that I was the only person who was going through what I was going through and nobody else would understand and I kept that position for very position for a very long period of time and it was really when I started seeing that other people were going through exactly the same thing as me did I start to be able to move from that position onwards so I was very stuck for a long time and it kept me safe to a certain degree but it wasn't working any longer and I wasn't safe I was kind of lost really you mentioned um, not being able to trust people earlier. When did you start to do that? It's been a challenging process um, and I've really been put on the spot and kind of pulled up on it. There is still a tendency for me to try and control situations by giving the information I think will keep keep me safe in a weird kind of way, but it isn't. It's just this kind of part of me that doesn't want to be completely transparent about about who I am for fear that once they knew who I am, I'll be rejected. Um, so that's kind of a core belief issue that I've been, you know, kind of really fighting. So thankfully, there's people around me who have gone through the same process and kind of can identify that I've, I've got these kind of old operating systems that will keep me trapped in addictive behavior. So they've been able to kind of really challenge me to really kind of confront being honest at all times, 100% of the time, in order to stop me from getting myself lost. Well, you've definitely been honest with us today, Dave. Um, It's been a cracker of a show. Before we move on to the final track of Passenger by the Deftones, I'd just like to thank you very much for being here and thank you to all the listeners and the living room and and Adveriad as well. Thank you. It's been a great experience. Thank you, Joe. So let's listen to your last song now then, Dave, which is Passenger by the Deftones. (laughs) 